Psalm 25, a Psalm of David. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exult over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me, for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him will he instruct in the way that he should choose. His soul shall abide in well-being, and his offspring shall inherit the land. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he makes known to them his covenant. My eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he will pluck my feet out of the net. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. Consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. Consider how many are my foes and with what violent hatred they hate me. Oh, guard my soul and deliver me. Let me not be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. Redeem Israel, O God, out of all his troubles. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Jean. Good morning again, church. I want to take a quick second to thank each of you. You did not wake up this New Year's Eve morning thinking that you would be an integral part of my seminary education. But thank you for your graciousness and your love and support for me as I've taken this journey over the last few years. It really is a, a privilege uh, and responsibility to be able to serve you all in this way, to preach under the authority of God's word is, uh, is a sweet thing, especially as we enter into this new year together. None of you are more surprised you'd be helping out with uh, this than my own father, who was really looking forward to hearing Tommy preach this morning. <laughs> Uh, kept it a secret from him for the past few weeks that I was preparing a sermon, and now he gets me his son instead of Tommy. But uh, <laughs> a little, good old surprise this morning. But I am expectant. I am excited uh, for what the Lord might do uh, through his word for us this morning. So let's ask a blessing on our time in it before we dive in. Father, we are grateful to be gathered together this morning as we look back on the year that was, as we look forward to the year that is, and that we can, Lord, come together and reflect on your goodness and your faithfulness and your love for us together as our church. So, Father, now as we come to your word, we pray that you would do what it is that only you can do, Father, and that is through 
your Holy Spirit, transform us. Might we have open hearts, open ears to what you have for us this morning. Might you bless our time in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, I count myself a lot of things. I'm sure you do as well. Other than the obvious of friend or father or husband, I claim to be, depending on the day, a world-class golfer. (laughs) Depending on the day. If it is cold enough and there's enough ice outside, claim to be a hockey player. One that falls down a lot, but nonetheless, a hockey player. If I'm cooking, might claim to be a Michelin star chef. If we are talking about Kraft macaroni and cheese. But what I don't claim at all, and what none of you can claim either honestly, is the ability to tell or see into the future. And if you can, I got some question about some lotto numbers tomorrow. But no, none of us can see or tell into the future. And that's why God gives us Psalm 25 in his word. For our good and God's glory. Now, right off the bat, Psalm 25 is an interesting psalm. As Jean just read it, you might have recognized that it doesn't flow as smoothly as some of the other psalms that we are familiar with. You may have found yourself struggling to follow along. That's because Psalm 25 is is what's called an acrostic psalm. That is to say that with a couple of exceptions, each verse starts with the preceding letter of the Hebrew alphabet. That fact is lost on us in English, but it would be much like us writing a poem with the first line starting with A, the second with B, the third with C, and and so on. You get the idea. The acrostics were used in the Psalter in a couple of different ways. Oftentimes, they were used to show kind of the totality of a particular subject was covered. The A to Z, as it were, of whatever the psalmist was trying to write about. I think for us this morning, more likely in Psalm 25, that the acrostic was used for the purpose of memorization and remembrance. It's like us. One of the first songs we learn is the ABCs. It's catchy. We learn it early in life. It has an order, a clear progression, an easy tune that's easy for us to remember. And I think that's what David, the author of this psalm, is doing for us this morning. There is something important in Psalm 25 that God, through David, wanted his people to remember. There is something in here that God did not want us to forget. So, of course, that, the natural question is, what is that? What is it that God wanted us to remember as he gave us Psalm 25? Well, I think David's situation that he finds himself in gives us a huge clue to what we are to remember this morning, church. As it will become clear as we dive into the text, we encounter David this morning in Psalm 25 in a time of great need. We can't know for sure the exact situation that David is. As we know about David's life, he finds himself in a few situations where he is in great need. 
But it's possible that David is penning this psalm during the time of his son Absalom's rebellion against him, a time of desperate need for David. You can read about that in 2 2 Samuel chapter 13 through 18. But no matter what is happening, or even when it's happening, David is in a time of great need. And you and I will need to know truths about God when we are in times of great need. Not just for this new year of 2024 that we're looking in, but we need truths from God's word that we can stake our lives on. And that's what we find this morning in Psalm 25. Now, being an acrostic psalm, they're notoriously difficult to outline. So you will notice that I'll break our regular habit and jump around a bit in Psalm 25. This is not going to be a verse-by-verse sermon, as is our regular habit, but more of a truth-by-truth sermon as we dive into the text. And the first truth I have for you this morning, church, is one that will probably not take too much of a leap of faith from you. It will not take too much convincing for me for you to know. And that is the truth that as God's people, you and I will have times of great need, just like David. This is probably not a shock to most of us in this room. You can think back to 2023, And you could think of times that were hard, that were grief-inducing. I can look out over this congregation and know of situations that were hard in this last year. And I hate to state the obvious, but I will. There will be more hard times in 2024. I don't want to be the Debbie Downer, but such is the nature of our fallen and broken world. Jesus promised us an abundant life, not an easy one. So that's our first truth, that there will be times of great need. But, as mentioned, we are not alone in this reality. In Psalm 25, we see David, a king of God's people, a man after God's own heart, the line in which the very Messiah would come in a time of great need. Read with me verse two. Oh my God, in you I trust. Let not me be put to shame. Let not my enemies exalt over me. Hop over to verse 19. Consider how many are my foes and with what violent hatred They hate me. David's enemies are seeking him, probably to kill him and overthrow his reign. Desperate need. And what's the first thing that David does? Does he seek to raise up a bigger and better army to conquer his enemies? Does he yell out to his generals to command the troops? Does he go and find a better hiding place to fool his enemies? He might have done all of those things. But first, 
In this time of great need, David prays. Verse 1. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. David turns to God in prayer. O Lord, I lift up my soul to you. Because hard times will come, we will be in time of need. Prayer is vital. Because we can't tell the future, we pray to the one who is above and before it all. That we can pray, that we can be even in conversation with the God of the universe is a great truth. It's great news for you and I. Great news. And yet, I am afraid it is something that has become far too routine. Sometimes, certainly in my own life. Am I the only one? For some of us, prayer has become like flying. This amazing, incredible thing that we totally take for granted. I mean, think about flying for a second. You have this metal tube They put jet engines on it. You fly at 37,000 feet at 600 miles an hour. That's crazy. Think about telling someone 100 years ago what that, what? A couple of months ago, I flew halfway across the world on a 14-hour flight. I didn't give a second thought to this metal tube flying through the air. Didn't phase me one bit. And while... I think that's a very appropriate response to flying. I'm afraid that's our attitude with prayer too often. This amazing, incredible thing that we don't give a second thought to. In a time of desperate need, when his enemies were many and he did not know the path forward, David prayed. Is that our response? Is prayer the foundation on which we live our lives? Or has it become a routine at the dinner table and before bed? Prayer is designed by God to be the default as Jesus followers. The foundation on which our lives are built. So when hard, hard times do come, and they will, When times of need come, prayer gives us an already established pattern and rhythm to enter in as we seek God's face for guidance and direction. Now, kids, I'm I'm happy you are here this morning, and don't think that prayer is only for your parents or the adults in your life. Prayer is simply talking to God. He wants to hear from you, too does not have to be big or fancy words. We simply talk to our Father in heaven, thanking him, praising him, asking him. He delights to hear all of those things. I have a friend and mentor named Sam, who, along with his wife Bonnie, spent their careers as missionaries in the Central African Republic, right in the center of Africa. 
And especially early on in their careers, it was very difficult to get reliable transportation into Central Africa. In many ways, it still is. And so Sam, knowing this, knowing he needed reliable transportation, had a Ford F-150 shipped over from the United States, picked it up in France, and was endeavoring to drive into Central Africa with it. Yeah. (laughs) So the journey, he started this journey with a traveling companion. It was fairly uneventful until he got to the southern border of Morocco. So he had crossed Europe, went across the Strait of Gibraltar, into Morocco, got to the southern border, And after that, the journey is fairly unknown, especially back then. So with a map, they walk into the police station asking, hey, we got to get to Central Africa. He's like, all right, what you're going to want to do is you're going to want to drive a half day's drive that way. You will find a sign in the desert. It will tell you which way to go. (laughs) And if you don't find that sign, quote, you will drive forever, end quote. So my friend Sam, knowing the priority and importance of prayer in a time of need, starts to pray and sing to God. The entire half day's drive, praying and singing, praying and singing, praying and singing. He gets to where this sign should be, nothing. He's in a time of desperate need at that point. He is in the middle of nowhere looking for a sign. And so him and his companion pray, lift up their voice to God, asking him, God, might you show us literally the way? They get a sense of what God might be telling them and start to drive. About an hour later, they find a two foot by two foot sign in the middle of the desert. Central African Republic, that way. They find the road and make the journey. There's a, there's a lot more there. But my friend Sam understood the importance and truth of prayer as a priority. That is an extreme example, one that most of us will never have to encounter, but it was prayer was a rhythm and habit in his life as a believer. When Sam was in a time of need, he knew where to turn. Do you? As I'm exhorting us toward a more serious and biblical view of prayer, I would also be remiss to not mention that I look out over this congregation, I see many of you who are like my friend Sam, that by God's grace know this and do this so well. So thank you for that. Thank you for your example to the rest of us of prayer as a priority as we seek to know and trust Jesus together. I'm also thrilled that our church as a whole understands the importance and priority of prayer. One such way that priority is clear is the 24 hours of prayer we have starting tomorrow. Starting at midnight and going for a full 24 hours, our congregation will cover every minute of tomorrow in prayer as we seek God's blessing and direction for Castleton Community Church for 2024 and beyond. It's not often that a preacher has such an applicable application just ready to hit out of the park. That's where I'm at. I would exhort you, if you have not already, to sign up for a 30-minute slot that you might join with your church family in a priority of prayer as we look towards this new year. And kids, it's a perfect time for you to join in with your family in prayer. This is not just an adult thing. We can do this as a family 
ask God's blessing and direction for our church family. I would encourage you for that. So our first truth this morning, God's people will be in times of need and so prayer is vital. The second truth that we see from David in Psalm 25 is that because we will have times of need, we need to know God better. Because we will be in times of need, we need to seek to know God better. I suspect that because today is New Year's Eve, maybe some of you are already starting to think about this truth, right? Resolutions, rhythms, habits, all buzzwords popular, especially today of all days. And while some of you here, uh, maybe even myself, might have a negative view of New Year's resolutions, I am here to say that this truth of seeking to know God better has nothing to do with 2024. It has nothing to do with 2044. It has nothing to do with 2444. To seek to know God better is the posture of a Christian life. Let's see what David has to say about that in verses four and five. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. In a time of great need, in prayer to God, David is not saying, okay, Lord, I've learned all your lessons. I've learned the hard stuff. I've done learning for the time being. I need your help right now. No. In fact, at this point, as David was writing this psalm, he was wise and mature in his faith, unlike some of his youthful years. And David models beautifully the desire to know God in times of great need. That does not give us an excuse to not continue to seek God. Verse 4, he says, teach me your ways. In verse 5, lead me to your truth and teach me. In verse 8, he instructs sinners in the way. Verse 9, teaches the humble. And friends, the, the beautiful part about seeking to know God better is that God has left us everything we need for that task. God has left us his revealed word. That through the reading and studying and meditating on it, we might know deeply the God we worship and adore. David models this beautifully for us in Psalm 25 and many of the other Psalms he writes. It's clear that David has studied God's word because he's able to tell us about the God he so deeply knows. In verse 3, we find David describing God's faithfulness. Verses 4 and 5, God's truth. In verse 6, that God is merciful and loving. In verse 8, that God is upright and good. In verse 11, that God is forgiving. In verse 16, that God is gracious. And I could go on and on and on. These are not the thoughts of a man who studied God's word only when he wanted to. These truths, inspired by the Spirit, are from a man who is deeply committed to knowing God. 
And then when hard times came, and they did for David, and they will for you, he did not look outside of God's word, but had it at the top of mind, had it at the tip of his tongue. With his revealed word, God also left us a helper. He left us a teacher, his Holy Spirit. In John 16, Jesus tells us that it's actually to our benefit that Jesus would leave so that he could send us the Holy Spirit. God so desires that we know him better, that we know him more deeply, that we follow the path laid out for us, that he laid out for us, that he indwells us who love, trust, and follow him. God actually takes up residence with us. We are not alone in times of great need. We are not alone as we seek to know God better. God is right there with us. David understood that. Does Psalm 25 strike you as someone that's talking to some distant cosmic force or some apathetic deity? No, in fact, quite the opposite. I hope 2024 brings you much joy and blessing. And I pray that none of us will be in a constant time of distress or great need. And so when we are in those times of joy and blessing, that is the time to build a foundation on God's word through his spirit that is unshakable. So when hard times do come, our house is on a rock, not the sand. But this does assume something about you and I, church. This assumes that you and I are teachable. That as we encounter God's word, illuminated by his Holy Spirit, that we can be taught and instructed the way in which to go. We see this beautifully laid out in the life of David. I don't know about you, but my parents are here as a testament that I was not the most teachable kid growing up. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> in many ways, in many ways, I was that kid in class. I was always usually more interested in hanging out with my friends, definitely more interested in talking than learning or being taught. In fact, my, my senior year of high school, I remember very clearly in a government class, that was needed for graduation, our teacher, uh, Mr. Dodge, walking up to this uh, group uh, that I was in of, of all, my, all my best friends. We all got in the same class. And he walks up to us and looks at us and says, I am absolutely sure that one of you is going to fail this class. It's like the second day. I still remember this so clearly. The implication being, hey, one of you guys isn't going to graduate on time. And his eyes like burned into my soul. And in that moment, I think maybe in life, certainly in his class, I became a bit more teachable. I graduated on time, praise the Lord. The rest is, the rest is history. But I don't, know, I don't know where you're at with the Lord. I don't, know what, where, I don't know where you're at with wanting to get to know him better. Building a foundation that will last when the waves come. But maybe today, on the cusp of a new beginning, on the cusp of a new year, is your time to take account before the Lord. 
Am I teachable? Or do you find yourself like me in high school, not very teachable? Maybe today is the day where you go before the Lord in prayer and ask for your heart to be softened to God's word and his spirit. That as we seek to know God better together through his word, through his spirit, that would be a reality for you. I would exhort you and encourage you towards that. Maybe the best way to do this, to start to properly know God better, is to confess your sin to him. That's the next truth. What struck me most as I was studying this psalm the last couple weeks is how keenly aware David is of his sin and his inability to save himself. Sprinkled all throughout this psalm. Read with me verse 11. For your namesake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. Verse 18. Consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. David recognizes that his greatest need has nothing to do with his enemies that are many and surrounding him. It has nothing to do with his son trying to kill him and overthrow him. He recognizes that in his time of distress, in his time of great need, his greatest need is the forgiveness of his sin. David does not try to excuse his sin. Hey, God, I'm in a bit of a sticky situation here. Can we deal with that sin stuff later? God, you know I love you. I'm a little busy right now. I will get back in the right relationship with you in a second. Nope, David, rightfully so, says my sin is great. Over and over, David goes back to asking God for the forgiveness of his sin. Even in this time of great need and distress. So the question that I asked myself that I was wrestling with, why does David do it so many times? Why does he keep bringing up his sin? Why does he keep asking God to forgive him? At this point in his life, David is a mature follower of Yahweh. He would have known that his sin was wiped clean for good, looking forward to the Messiah that was to come. I suspect he keeps doing this because David has a healthy fear of the Lord, which drove him to repentance. Look at me with uh, verse 14. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. And he makes known to them his covenant. David does not take the covenant, the relationship with God, with the God of the universe for granted. David would not have understood the cheap grace that some preach. He rightfully recognized that it was only God as judge who could declare him clean and righteous. And so at the tip of his tongue, even in time of need, was the confession of sin. So I have a question. Is that also our posture before our good and great God? Do we recognize the weight of sin and confess it regularly? Maybe you think back over this past year and your mind wanders back to a sin that's taken hold of your life. Maybe for you that sin has become an acceptable or routine part of your life. 
You've never come before your father to confess it to him. I would exhort us to that end, church. To take account before the Lord, to join with David's example and say to God, pardon my guilt for it is great. So if we are to know God properly, we must confess our sin to him. But I have saved the best truth for last in Psalm 25. In some ways, this whole sermon, like the ball has been dropping in, new, uh, in Times Square. The new year is coming. The fireworks are about ready to go off. The last truth that I want us to reflect on together this morning from Psalm 25 is that when we confess our sin, God will save us. That is great news this morning and every morning. When we confess our sin, God will save us. Read with me verse 3. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantingly treacherous. We read of shame in verse 3 and our Western minds in 2023 maybe go to foolishness, maybe it goes to embarrassment. There's actually a much deeper meaning for shame here. When David says, none who wait for you will be put to shame. This unique biblical idea of shame in this verse and others speaks to the idea, speaks to the idea of being let down or being disappointed in putting your trust in something that in the end proves unworthy. Simply put, the idea that David is writing here is that those who have staked their all on God will not be abandoned by him in the end. That's good news. God's covenant faithfulness is on full display for David, who is not just ready to talk to God, not just ready to know him better, not just ready to confess his sin, but knows the end result that he has been saved, wiped clean, put back into relationship with God because his sins are forgiven. Yes, for him, even looking forward to the Messiah. This forgiveness, this saving power is not just a reality for a king of God's people, but it's all of our reality if we trust, love, and follow King Jesus. Verse 22 speaks to this beautifully. David writes, Redeem Israel, O God, out of his troubles. Now this verse is interesting because this last verse breaks the acrostic of the psalm. It does not start with the last letter of the Hebrew alphabet. That has uh, led some commentators to suggest that it was added later in to make for a more corporate-sounding prayer as the psalms were used in corporate worship. But I agree with other commentators in that David knew exactly what he was doing. He had discovered new life that comes with the forgiveness of sin, and that was his great desire for his people, for God's people, that they would come to know that truth as well. So at the end of this prayer to God, in his time of need, he lifts a prayer to God for his people. Redeem them, O God. 
And the beautiful, awe-inspiring truth of this prayer is that God so clearly answered it by the sending of his son, Jesus. Not just to redeem Israel, but instead redeem the whole world to him. Not just to rescue God's people, but to save people from every tribe and tongue. For those of us in this room who choose to follow Jesus by faith, we have been redeemed. We have been picked out of the pit of sin, cleansed of all our unrighteousness, and been made children of God. What a profound and glorious truth that is. I don't think there's any truth better to start any day, but especially today. We now wait with confidence. And we join with David, as he says in verse 21, may integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. Friends, if you are here and have not, if you've not heard that message before, if you have not chosen to trust, love, and follow Jesus to abundant life, abundant life now and eternal life into the future, I invite you in to that relationship. Talk to a Christian friend. Find one of us here at the church. We would love to have that conversation with you. For the rest of us here who count ourselves as followers of Jesus, we now have the great privilege to remind ourselves of that sacrifice and that relationship as we come to the Lord's table. To remember the great truth of our redemption in Christ Jesus through his broken body and his shed blood. Let me pray. Father, we are grateful for your word. We are grateful for your spirit. We are grateful that together this morning on the cusp of a new year, we can be transformed through your word, that we can seek to make prayer a priority, that we can love you more deeply as we seek to know you through your word and as your spirit instructs us and teaches us. Father, we're just grateful ultimately that we are saved from our sin because of your son's work on the cross. So Father, now as we come to your table, might that truth reverberate in our hearts. Might we love you and trust you and follow you more deeply as we seek to start this new year. Father, we're grateful for your word and for this table. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.